of the Bible is faith. In fact, the book of Hebrews devotes an entire chapter to the subject of faith. The Word of God has much to say about faith. It speaks of weak faith, strong faith, bold faith, rich faith, abiding faith, steadfast faith, dead faith, precious faith, common faith, unfeigned faith, working faith, obedient faith, little faith, and great faith. Now this is the second passage in the Gospel of Matthew in which Jesus speaks of great faith. The first was found in Matthew chapter 8 verses 5 to 13 in the account of the Roman centurion who came to Jesus and asked him to heal his servant. And in response to his request, Jesus said to him in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 10, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. In that account, and in this account before us this morning, both persons express, expressing great faith were Gentiles. And in the context of the passage before us this morning, Matthew seems to imply that the Canaanite woman's faith was not only for the deliverance and the healing of her daughter, but it was also for her own personal salvation. And so Jesus' encounter with this Canaanite woman in this passage is a story of faith that Jesus called great. So it begs the question, doesn't it? What does it mean to possess great faith? Well, this woman's faith was not great because it was stronger or more sincere or more mature than the faith of others who believed in Christ. This woman's faith was great in her expressions, especially considering the lack of knowledge and experience that she had concerning Jesus Christ. And so let's pick up the story this morning and learn what made this woman's faith so great. And the first thing I want you to see is found in verse 21. And I want you to note with me the place in which great faith is exhibited. Matthew says, and Jesus went away from there and he withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Now, up to this point in Matthew's gospel, the majority of Jesus' ministry had taken place in Galilee. But now, because of all of the mounting pressures that were surrounding him, Matthew tells us in verse 21 that Jesus went away from Gennesaret and he withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. You'll recall in previous weeks that Jesus was under immense pressure from the multitudes who had been following him from place to place. They were convinced that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. And they were right to a point in recognizing that his miraculous powers marked him as the true Messiah that Israel had been waiting for. But they were wrong about the kind of Messiah that Jesus was to be. In their minds, they wanted Jesus to come as the Messiah and to overthrow the rulership of Rome and establish a new earthly kingdom and to usher in an unending period of prosperity. That's why, if you recall, after Jesus 
did the miracle of feeding 5,000, the multitudes wanted to seize him by force and make him immediately their king. But he not only faced pressure from the multitudes, Jesus faced the pressure of constantly being in danger of arrested and executed by Herod. You'll recall that Herod thought that Jesus was John the Baptist who had risen from the dead. And therefore, Herod was concerned that his rulership was in jeopardy. But the greatest pressure that was mounting against Jesus at this point in the Gospel of Matthew was from the Jewish religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus had had confrontation after confrontation with these leaders, and they decided in Matthew chapter 12 that they were going to destroy him. And in his most recent encounter, he embarrassed them in their religious rituals in front of all of the multitudes. And so his confrontation with these religious leaders was at its height as he was moving towards the cross. But in addition to all of these pressures from the multitudes, from Herod, from the scribes, and from the Pharisees, Matthew has been telling us subtly that Jesus was in need of physical rest and refreshment and that he was longing to spend time with his disciples and train them and invest in them. And this is all of the reasons why Jesus withdrew. He left Gennesaret, and Matthew tells us in verse 21, he traveled to Tyre and Sidon. And what's so interesting about Jesus' travels at this point is that he left the promised land and he went to a pagan land. He left the people of God and he went to the people of the Gentiles. And you'll notice that Jesus strategically withdrew to this region. And this region is fascinating. And Jesus has already spoken about Tyre and Sidon when he was rebuking the Israelites in Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 to 22. He spoke specifically of this Gentile region in connection with the judgment of God. And this is what he said in Matthew chapter 11. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. And he said, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Did you hear that? He rebuked the Israelites, saying that if he would have performed his miracles and his works in this Gentile region, they would have immediately repented in sackcloth and ashes. And then he says, but I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. So why? Why did Jesus leave the people of Israel and go to the Gentiles? Because, friends, he's moving to the cross. He's preparing his disciples for his crucifixion and his resurrection and he is going to illustrate for them in this travel plan 
what it looks like to fulfill the Great Commission and to go into all the world and make disciples. See, the Bible teaches us that the good news of salvation came through the Jews, and it came first to the Jews. But the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ was never meant to stop with the Jews. Paul tells the Roman Christians that the message of the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who will believe. The Jew first and also the Greek. And this is why Jesus will commission all of his followers to go into all the world to the remotest parts of the earth and preach the good news of the gospel and make disciples. And this is what Jesus is illustrating to his followers. Now, it's interesting. There's a parallel account to this story in Mark chapter 7. And this is what Mark says happened when Jesus arrived at this district. In Mark 7, 24, he says, And from there he arose, and he went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house. And he didn't want anyone to know. Now listen to how Mark ends the description. Yet he could not be hidden. The man, the Messiah, who was longing for rest and refreshment, traveled 35 to 55 miles away from the people of Israel to a Gentile territory, entered a house, wanted to rest and be hidden, and yet the Son of God could not be hidden. And so we see here the beginning of this account in Matthew teaches us that we find great faith in the most unlikely places among the most unlikely people. But we must always remember that faith is never determined by place. Faith is never determined by prominence. Faith is never determined by personality or any human characteristic. Faith is always a result of the grace of God at work in the lives of people. And so first of all, we see the place in which great faith is exhibited. Secondly, in verse 22, we see the person in which great faith is exhibited. And Matthew writes, And behold... A Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And you'll notice Matthew employs one of his favorite words again throughout the gospel, the word behold. And he's calling all of his readers and he's calling all of you in this room who have fallen asleep to wake up and to pay attention, and to be prepared for something that is startling and something that is significant that is about to take place. And what is about to take place is a Canaanite is going to approach Jesus. Now you remember from your Old Testament studies that the Canaanites were the ancient enemies of Israel. They were the people that the Israelites were a commission to destroy when Joshua led them into the promised land. And this, interestingly enough, is the only place in the New Testament where this word Canaanite is used. But she wasn't just a Canaanite, an enemy of the people of God. 
Matthew says that it was a woman who approached Jesus. And in the culture of that day, it was socially improper for this exchange to take place. And so everything about this scene that Matthew is setting before us is awkward and puzzling and scandalous in terms of culture. But I want you to notice carefully three things that this Canaanite woman does. First of all, Matthew simply says that she came to Jesus. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out. Mark says that immediately, as soon as Jesus entered the house, this woman heard of him and heard that he was there because Jesus cannot be hidden. And she approached them. This woman is a Canaanite, the enemy of the people of God, a pagan living in a pagan land. And yet she heard of the Lord Jesus Christ and she heard of his power and she went to him for help. And this simple act of her coming to Jesus serves as a good reminder that whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you are rich or poor, whether you are young or old, whether you have your life together this morning or your life is falling apart at the seams, the person who approaches Jesus with true faith and humility will always be received. The person who comes to Jesus with an empty and open heart, will always leave Jesus' presence with a heart that is full and overflowing. That's why when Jesus looked at the people of his day in Matthew chapter 11, and he saw how they were overcome with the burdens of their sin and the pressures of their life and their alienation from God, he looked out among all of them and he said these words, Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And listen, you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This woman had restlessness in her soul and she heard of Jesus and she simply came to him because she knew he could help she not only came to Jesus Matthew tells us in verse 22 she cried out to Jesus he says and she was crying have mercy on me Mark says in Mark 7 26 that she begged him she cried out she begged him the language of the text indicates that this was a continual crying on her part. She repeated over and over, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on me. And her cry and her plea of desperation for, was for one thing and one thing only was mercy. Do you know what mercy is? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. The person who asks for mercy is the person who asks for something that is undeserved. This woman knew that she deserved Jesus' judgment. 
not his help. She knew that she, as a Gentile, was unworthy of him. And that her only hope, her only hope was that he would extend forgiveness and that he would extend mercy to her. And you'll notice, she didn't come making demands of Jesus. She came pleading to Jesus. She came continually crying out to Jesus. And she didn't ask for Jesus' help based on her goodness. She asked for his help based on his goodness. She knew. She had heard of him as being a man of compassion and mercy. And this Canaanite woman, she remembered what all of us often forget. That Jesus' help, Jesus' forgiveness, and Jesus' salvation... And Jesus' strength is always a divine mercy. It's always something that is undeserved. I love what R.C. Sproul says about her plea and her action here. He says, the only merit that we have before a holy God is demerit. Our only hope to stand before a holy and righteous God is by appealing to his mercy and his grace. For it is by his grace alone that any of us enter his kingdom. He came to Jesus, she came to Jesus. She cried out to Jesus. Notice thirdly, in verse 22, she confessed Jesus. She simply said, O Lord, Son of David. You know, to exhibit great faith, you must have faith in the right object. And though this woman was a Gentile and separated from God, notice her confession. She acknowledged Jesus as Lord and as the Son of David. She acknowledged him as the Messiah, the long-awaited, long-promised Messiah. And she not only acknowledged him as Savior, as Messiah, as the one who would come to redeem his people. She acknowledged him as Lord, Lord over her life. And even though she didn't fully understand what it meant for him to be Lord and Savior, she came with a sense of awe and wonder. This woman had been raised in a pagan culture that was known for its utter wickedness. She was a descendant of a people that God had commanded Israel to conquer and utterly destroy. That's what the Bible says about the Canaanites, that they were to be utterly destroyed. This woman had no heritage of God's word. She had no heritage of the blessings of God upon her people. She had no heritage of his tabernacle, of his temple, of the priesthood, or of sacrifices. And because she was a Canaanite, she worshipped the gods of the Canaanites. Pagan deities that were greatly popular in that region of the world. Do you know what made this woman's faith great? She had faith in the right object. Jesus as Lord and Savior. This woman's faith was great because she turned from false gods. She turned from dumb idols. She turned from pagan deities to faith in Jesus Christ. Her trust in the false gods of her people 
it seemed satisfactory to her life while everything was going good. But now her daughter was possessed by a demon. And she saw time and time again how the false gods of her heritage failed her and left her daughter demon-possessed and left her soul in turmoil. And this woman realized in the crisis of her life, that the false gods of this world promise great things, but they always leave you empty. And as a result, she left her religious system. She left her heritage. She left her false belief that had no answers, that had no power. And she came to the only one who could help her. And she confessed, you are Lord and you are Savior. She did what the Thessalonians did. She turned from idols to serve the true and living God. And in turning to Jesus, she would receive the blessings of Jesus. You see, faith that receives the blessings of Christ always involves repentance. It always involves turning away from false gods turning away from false beliefs, turning away from false ideologies, and coming in simple, humble faith to the one who will satisfy. And her confession, it was similar to the confession of David that he confessed to the Lord when he confessed his sins with Bathsheba. And in Psalm 51.1, David said, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Have mercy on me, God. It was David's confession. It was this woman's confession. And it needs to be our confession. Do you see, friends, what a picture? The very enemy of God is coming to God and crying out for mercy. And in the actions of this Canaanite woman, every single one of us in this room, downstairs and at home can see ourselves. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 10 that because of our sin and apart from Christ, Every single person who's ever been born into this world is an enemy of God. But like this woman, when we come to Jesus and when we cry out for his mercy and when we confess him as Lord and Savior and we turn from our sins and turn from our false gods, we will receive his mercy and his forgiveness. We can all be seen in this Canaanite woman because we have all either followed her example by turning to Christ and turning away from our idols, or we need to turn away from our idols and turn to Christ. And so I ask you this morning, non-Christian, aren't you tired this morning of carrying your burden of sin and wondering if God will ever completely and fully accept you? Non-Christian, doesn't your soul Long this morning for peace and rest. Don't you desire, non-Christian, to be freed from the fear of death and what awaits you in eternity? 
Don't you long for the joy of being reconciled to your creator, to the giver of your life, and to the sustainer of your life? Aren't you tired of the empty promises that the false gods of this world and the ideologies of this world leaving you empty every single time you turn to them and rest in them? Aren't you tired of that? Oh, non-Christian, the answer for you today is seen in the example of this Canaanite woman to come to Jesus, to cry out for his mercy, to confess him as your Lord and as your Savior, and to receive his forgiveness as you turn from your idols and your sin. Christian, just because you enter the kingdom this way, That doesn't mean that you need to stop coming to Jesus and crying out for his mercy and confessing him as your Lord and your Savior. Aren't you tired this morning, friend, of carrying your own burden? Isn't your soul in need of rest today? Don't you long for divine mercy over your need, over your struggle? The answer is the same for you, Christian. You come to Jesus, you cry out, and you confess. Well, we not only see the place in which great faith is exhibited and the person in which great faith is exhibited, we see in verses 23 to 25 the posture in which great faith is exhibited. Matthew says, But he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. So how did Jesus respond to the faith of this woman? Well, did you notice it in your Bible, or did you miss it? Look carefully in verse 23. Matthew says, he did not answer her a word how odd of the son of god it's a shocking response isn't it aren't you shocked by jesus's response to this woman's faith but you must remember this morning that jesus always has a divine purpose for every single one of his actions Matthew is showing us over and over in his gospel the superficial faith of the multitudes and their shallow response to Jesus. All they wanted Jesus for is what they could get out of him. And there are many people in our world like that today. And Jesus' silence in verse 23 was deliberate and dramatic. His silence was not to push the woman away. Listen carefully, friends. His silence was to draw her in and to draw her closer to him. It was a test of her faith to see if it was genuine and real or if it was superficial like all of the multitudes. And you'll notice in verse 24 that the disciples did not appreciate Jesus' response. Raise your hand if you're surprised. They didn't appreciate it. 
And Matthew says that they came to Jesus at the end of verse 23 and they begged him, saying, send her away for she is crying out after us. Does this sound familiar? Do you remember when they came to Jesus and said, you got to send all these people away. We don't have enough food to feed them. What was the disciples' answer to the problem? Get rid of it. What is the disciples' answer in this passage? We have another problem, Jesus. This woman is driving us crazy. Would you please just answer her request, heal her daughter, and get rid of her? They lacked compassion and patience. They wanted to keep their own plans, and they were tired of being interrupted. But notice what Jesus did in verse 24. You thought verse 23 was odd. Verse 24 is even odder. He's still not responding to the woman. He only responds to the disciples. And he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Could you imagine this morning if you were that woman who had just come to Jesus and had just cried out for his mercy? Not only have you heard his closest followers say, get rid of her. You've now heard Jesus say, I came to minister to Israel, not people like this woman. And in that moment, the only person who could help her seemingly denied her. She was devastated. Not surprised. She was outside of the covenant of the people of God, and therefore she was outside of the scope of Jesus' ministry, according to verse 24. But she couldn't help to have been dashed to pieces in her hope. And you'll notice that Matthew doesn't record how the disciples respond to Jesus' statement. Matthew only records the woman's response. And here's what I want you to think about this morning. If you or I would have been that woman, we would have probably walked away and said, so much for your God of love, so much for your message of compassion, so much for your narrow, bigoted way of religion. I want nothing to do with a God or a faith like that. Sound familiar? But that's not what this woman did. The text gives no indication that she was bitter or resentful to Jesus. Only that she had an abiding love for her daughter and a faith that was genuine and real in Jesus Christ. She knew that the gods of her people didn't care. She knew that Jesus was her only hope. And Jesus was her only help. And she had nowhere else to turn. And look at what Matthew says she does in verse 25. But she came and she knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. Instead of rejecting Jesus, instead of pulling away from Jesus, she came closer to Jesus. The enemy of God who should not have come close to him. The one who it was culturally unacceptable for her to approach, she got closer. And Matthew says she got on her knees and she cried out, Lord, help me. 
Lord, have mercy on me. And do you know what the text describes about her falling to her knees? When you study the language of the text, you know what it literally pictures? Worship. Worship. She fell at the feet of Jesus and worshiped in her pain and in her suffering and in her difficulty. The posture of this woman's faith was great. She was humble. She was dependent. And she was absolutely desperate for the power of God. And I picture in my mind that she just continually fell at his feet. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I need your mercy. Can you relate to this woman this morning? Do you know what it's like for heaven to go silent? You've made your pleas. You've taken a posture of desperation. And yet, there's still no response. Could it be? Could it be, friend, this morning that you've misinterpreted the silence of God as his rejection? When in reality, his silence is his means of grace to draw you closer to him in your time of desperation and struggle. Would you respond like this woman this morning? And in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your sorrow, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your disappointments, in the midst of your desperation, would you, like this Canaanite woman, fall at the feet of Jesus? And would you cry out for his help? And would you worship him in your suffering? Would you worship him this morning in your struggle? Would you worship him this morning in the silence? Oh, friends. He's a God of mercy, and he is worthy. He is worthy of your worship. Well, we not only see the place in which great faith is exhibited, the person in which great faith is exhibited, and the posture in which great faith is exhibited, we also see the persistence with which great faith is exhibited. Look in verses 26 and 27. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. In response to this woman's great faith, did you notice in the text? Jesus gives another shocking answer. Look at verse 26. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. If his silence wasn't enough, this really had to have been over the top 
for this woman to hear. The language of dogs is what the Jews used to describe the Gentiles. And it was a reference to the wild, homeless, stray dogs that traveled in packs within the city and fed off of the garbage of the city. It was a slur to the Gentiles. But there's two words in the language of the Bible for dogs. The ones that the Jews used and the one that Jesus used in this passage to describe this woman. And the word that Jesus used here literally refers to a little pet dog. And you'll see why that's true in the context of the verses. It's referring to a household pet that gathered around the family dinner table when it was supper time. Some of you probably know what that is like in your home with your own pets. The children that Jesus is talking about here refers to the people of Israel. And the bread refers to the blessings of God upon the people. And what Jesus was saying to this woman is, it's not right for you to take the blessings of God's people upon yourself. And we see, once again, Jesus testing this woman's faith. But notice, notice her response in verse 27. It reveals the persistence of her faith. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Listen to the greatness of her testimony of faith. She's saying to Jesus, you're absolutely right, Jesus. The Gentiles do not sit at the table as the children of God and eat the bread of his blessings. But Jesus, even pet dogs get the scraps that fall off the table on to the floor. Jesus, I understand that I'm sinful and I'm unworthy of your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness. I'm not like the Jewish people. I understand that. But Jesus, I'm willing to settle for the crumbs that fall off your table onto the floor. Because Jesus, your crumbs from your blessings will be enough for me and they'll be enough for my daughter. The discarded parts of your blessing, Jesus, are powerful enough to heal my little girl. And so I'm willing just to take the crumbs. Here's my translation of it. She's worshiping him. She looks up at him. Jesus, even the crumbs of your mercy are powerful enough to change my life and change my daughter. If I could just have a taste of your crumbs, it would be enough. One commentator described her actions as indomitable persistence that springs from unconquerable hope. Great faith, friends. It's persistent. It doesn't give up. It doesn't shrink in front of obstacles or setbacks or disappointments. 
Think of this encounter. Jesus wouldn't speak to her. Then the disciples tried to get rid of her. Then Jesus said to her, I've only been sent to Israel. And then Jesus compared her to a dog. And each time, she exercised great, persistent faith. I wonder, is your faith persistent? We've been through a lot. How's your faith? Is it persevering in your life today? Or have you become discouraged and disappointed and defeated and have just given up? Do you believe today, friend, that your God is a God of abundant mercy? Do you believe today, friend, that when you wake up tomorrow morning, on Monday morning, you will wake up to new mercies from the hand of God? And do you really believe this morning, whatever your need, whatever your struggle, whatever your fear, whatever your sense of hopelessness and desperation this morning, do you really believe like this woman that the crumbs of the mercy of God are powerful enough for your life and for your situation this very moment? Persistent faith. Well, finally, in verse 28, we see the powerful response to great faith exhibited. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Mark says, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Jesus healed her daughter instantly. She didn't need Jesus to go home with her for the miracle to occur. She believed in his word. She believed in his power. She believed in his character. She believed he was willing, and she believed that he was able, even from a distance. And Jesus healed her Instantly, this was a woman of great faith. And Jesus is teaching us that he responds in power to faith. He's showing us that anyone, do you see it, friends? Anyone. It doesn't matter where you are today. It doesn't matter what you've come from. It doesn't matter what baggage you brought into this room. Jesus is showing us that his mercy is sufficient for anyone who will come to him. He'll comfort the troubled. He'll comfort the needy. He'll comfort the desperate. He'll comfort the broken. He'll comfort the weary and discouraged. Do you believe that today? Do you believe 
that he's powerful enough for your life? Or is his power only good for this woman on the pages of Scripture? Well, what's great faith? Well, it's faith like this Canaanite woman. It's faith in the person of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's faith that has a posture of humility and dependence. It's a faith that is persistent no matter what the obstacle. And it's a faith that experiences the power of God and the mercy of God. It's recognizing who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he can do. And declaring your utter dependence upon his mercy. That's great faith. It's the faith that allows you to enter God's kingdom. And it's the faith that sustains you and keeps you in his kingdom. Great faith. Do you have it? Do you know what it is today, friend, to experience the mercy of God for salvation? Do you know what it is, friend, to experience the mercy of God in your daily life as a Christian? Great faith. Let's pray.